welcome to the Holistic Baby and Toddler Sleep Podcast. I'm your host, Georgina Winderbank, a qualified naturopath, a holistic sleep consultant, a mother to a little boy, and I have been pregnant four times. At the Holistic Sleep Project and through my membership, The Sleep Collective, I have helped countless families locally and internationally resolve their sleep issues, which affect not just babies and toddlers, but the entire family unit and how smoothly it functions. My approach is unique as it is completely holistic, just like the naturopathic philosophy. Naturopathy and holistic sleep together create a deeper understanding between the philosophy of sleep and its relationship to other crucial parts of child development. In this podcast, you will learn plenty of solutions and gain an abundance of knowledge so you can confidently tackle any sleep challenge that comes your way. These discussions will address child sleep as well as nutrition, emotional well-being, resilience and experiencing family loss and trauma. This is an informative, thought-provoking podcast about pregnancy, parenting and of course sleep. I am so glad you're here as we navigate together one of the toughest jobs in the world and reduce sleep deprivation in the process. Let's get started. I have the most incredible treat for you today for episode 16. I interviewed one of the beautiful mothers and families that I have worked with over the last few months and her experience with sleep before we worked together with her two and a half year old during our time together and what it has meant for an entire family unit to now have sleep that comes easily and without effort. Kirby is an absolute delight and she has a little boy, Henley, who's two and a half, and they were doing, they knew that they needed help, but she was so worried about the judgment that a professional may, she may get from a professional, and she was also worried that they would ask her to put her child in a room and close the door and basically make the child cry it out. So that's why it had held her back from so long from reaching out for support And they were struggling a lot. The whole family unit was struggling, her work, her relationship, her exhaustion levels. They were doing a dance as all of the families that I work with do, including many bottles overnight, patting him to sleep or trying to, leaving the room, coming back to the room, multiple night wakes, the nap was in the wrong time during the day as well as for the wrong duration. So we had the most incredible chat about her experience and how it really did prove her wrong in everything that she was worried about and what was holding her back from reaching out from support. I think you might find yourself in this conversation and I really hope you enjoy meeting Kirby. It was an absolute pleasure to chat with her. Hi, Kirby. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm quite excited. I'm really excited too. You've just been such a amazing family to work with and you've really sung my praises, which I really appreciate because the more people that we can reach and share that sleep work is not just about crying it out and it's not difficult. It's really straightforward as long as you have someone holding your hand through the process, the better. If we can share the message, the better. So let's have the listeners get to know you a little bit and where you're from and what you were doing prior to this. So who's in your family and what area do you live in? Um, So there's myself and my husband and uh, my nine-year-old stepdaughter lives with us um, all the time except for every second weekend. And we also have a -a two-and-a-half-year-old little boy, Henley. Yes. Um, And we live in Geelong in Victoria. 
and yeah, our family is a busy little family. I'm a shift worker, um, and having a nine-year-old, lots of after-school activities and you know, busy, busy. So I think that's probably where poor Henley's sleep got pushed to the side a bit. Oh, it's so common. So as you know, I have the sleep collective membership, and I would say probably well, maybe half the mummers in there have two, three, and four kids. And when I've worked with them one-on-one or with the membership, we find that trying to get that last child's nap, so say it's a baby, in the car, are really, really difficult around school drop-off and stuff like that. Yeah. Same with Henley, you know, he still needs a nap. Um, but you've got a nine-year-old that you've got to run here, there and everywhere. So yeah, exactly. it's a balancing act, isn't it? It sure is. So tell us about Henley. What was his sleep like when he was a baby and has it always been a bit of a struggle? Tell us a little bit about the journey from, from birth as much as you can. Um, as a baby, he was a pretty good sleeper in terms of we had a bassinet in the lounge room, we'd put him down the bassinet, he'd go to sleep, he'd wake up. Um, I think at the very beginning um, he was born quite small and was fed through a nasogastric tube and then we had to wake him for feeds um, as per his paediatrician. So every two hours when we first got home. So I think from the very, very start I got used to not sleeping. Yes. Um, and then he sort of, when he was about, oh, I reckon, six months old, um, I found that he was, you know, probably trying to, not trying to get out of his bassinet, but he was pushing on the edges and all of that. So we popped him in his cot and then I struggled then to get him to sleep, but worked with our maternal and child health nurse who gave me some little tips that worked for a very short time, but not stuff that, and nothing flexible. Like it was, this is how old he is. So this is what you have to do. Not what do you do in your life and what's your baby like? It was very structured for that age and this is how you do it. And so that sort of it worked for a little bit, but I found that really hard and so did my husband because it didn't work for our family. And so then sort of the next two years, it was just a bit of trial and error. There was times when he was well and we were all well and I was on annual leave, so I wasn't doing shift work and we could sort of put a bit more time into getting him to sleep and then he would sleep. But getting him to sleep, as, except for when he was teeny tiny in the bassinet in the lounge room, has always been a mission. Yeah. And then, yeah, more recently, obviously, before I reached out to you, his sleep was a hot mess. We well, had no routine, nothing. Nothing. Okay. Well, let's nothing. talk about that. So in the beginning, you were finding that you needed to go out and about, you needed to live your life, but what the maternal child health nurse had given you was not flexible to life. And no. I think that's a really common thing as well is a lot of families to say to me, I want to be get out and about. Do I have to be chained to the house? And not get naps. And I think we actually spoke about that, didn't we, on the discovery call? We did. We need to get out and about. We're a busy family. Is this going to impact our work? Am I going to get the results? And I will always say to families, it's important to prioritise sleep. We don't want to be out having our kids out until late every night. We do need to prioritise naps. But I think, you know, even the 80-20 rule is, and it depends how old your child is. He's in a really great pocket now where We'll talk about what he's on doing now, but in terms of his nap, it's a fairly reasonable short nap. It's a one nap. Yeah. When they're having multiple naps and they're really prone to overtiredness, that can be really tricky. But as long as we prioritise to have the majority of sleep at home or we're home for the majority, you know, two or three naps, whatever it may be, that's ideal. And as you said, so 
the getting to sleep and you're saying before we met it was the getting to sleep so what were you actually struggling with in terms of Henley's sleep before we met including the getting to sleep what were you doing to have that happen so to get Henley to sleep um we were sitting next to him in his bedroom uh patting him on the bottom for hours and then giving up on that also and driving around Geelong for hours that was at night during the day um I'd sit with him in his room or I'd go for a drive just to get him to have a sleep or I would just it would get to three o'clock in the afternoon after me putting him to bed at 12 and we'd be in and out of the room doing all different things and so then he just wouldn't nap um and then at night time uh the padding as well the driving around and giving him a bottle um so he was having a bottle of milk and then during the night when he'd wake up, that was the only way we could get him back to sleep because he just was so fixated on it. But there was times at night, like I said to you when we first started, I'd give him a bottle at bedtime. I'd spend an hour and a half trying to get him to sleep and then he'd want another one. Yeah. And, you know, after doing that for months, we were just so tired. We'd just give him another one because then he'd go to sleep. And not sleep for very long then, right? Because you were doing that a couple of times yeah. through the night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I laugh, I laugh now because it all seems so ridiculous because it seems so easy what we do now. Like it's, Ben and I talk about it all the time about how, you know, if we had just done these things, but, you know, being accountable to someone and getting the good education and the good support, we now look back and laugh on those things that we had to do. Well, I'm, I'm laughing, but I'm not, I'm not <laughs> laughing because it's such a common story. It's such a familiar yeah. story. And I'm, I'm laughing because it's really normal. It's actually really And I'm good. learning that. Yeah, Instagram. you would be and, and through friends and things like that. So yeah. often the families that I meet when I first meet them, they're doing this, I call it the dance, they're doing this dance of patting bottoms, holding hands, going out, and if they're a younger baby, coming back in, picking them up, putting them in the cot, patting them, leaving, giving them a breastfeed, giving them a bottle, them, woo, like it's just coming and going, coming and going. And because you just get to that stage where you're like, oh, we'll do anything to get them to sleep even if you know it's only going to be for two hours for us it was like if we can get him to sleep no matter what it takes by a reasonable time we then get to spend time with like our other child so in the end it was like okay if we take him straight for a drive and that only takes half an hour that's then an hour when we get home and put him to bed so we get to spend with our other child Mm. and that was sort of where we were like we can't keep doing this that's she was missing fine. out. Her and cup wasn't full. Yes, and you said that to me too in our discovery call and also time together as a couple. That's a lot yeah. right here in terms of families. They might get a very short period of time together. I mean, I remember that with Reggie when he was a newborn and we were sort of tag teaming and we weren't really having any time together and even to cook dinner because it was just so all in the, yeah. in the feeding and everything like that. So I think that that dance that you're talking about, of trying everything, but we know what that does is actually it's it's very overstimulating for children, but it's very the chopping and the changing. We sort of need to find a consistent approach, but what I think the problem is is I feel like parents can't see their way through. They can't come up with a plan because they're so tired and they chop and they change. They're like, maybe if we try this, maybe if we try this, and obviously all hands on deck trying many things. So it's a very, very common story. And I think that's the whole point is I see part of my job as being the voice of reason, being objective. I'm not the one in that situation so I can have that. And I'm the one kind of looking from above to see what we need to do to find a clear path forward. So can you sort of get the listeners inside your head a little bit? 
And tell us how you were feeling from an emotional perspective. How were you and your partner feeling about this whole situation before we met? I think we were both exhausted um, and overwhelmed. I think having had an older child that didn't have any trouble going to sleep but also didn't have a routine Mm. when I'm like I only met her when she was three but going back I think my husband was like it's not supposed to be this hard but also we were trying to work together so I would say right we're not going to drive him around anymore we're going to just put him to bed that's what we're going to do and I would do that for two nights and then he would put him to bed and do it and then the next night one of us either way and then we'd get resent each other because well it was you that stuffed it up but it wasn't really because we were both doing ridiculous things to get him to sleep you know driving around for hours um and then it got to the point where you know my mum would come to babysit but she would have to sit with him for hours Mm -hmm. and she was then exhausted and he wouldn't sleep and she's like he never used to be like this when he was little he'd always sleep for me so then we would stop going out and doing things and I think given that you know most of his life had been during lockdown he also wasn't used to us not being around um, so we were then trying, you know, once we could get out in the world, we're like, yes, let's get a babysitter and go out and do things. But it would be so stressful because we wouldn't leave till 8 o'clock at night because we'd spend two hours getting him to sleep first. And then we'd be annoyed at each other because whoever was supposed to put him to sleep while the other got ready didn't or, you know, it just caused a lot of tension in our relationship that just doesn't really need to be there. That's right. But when you're tired, like I also hear from a lot of people now because it's funny, once you start telling people that you've had sleep issues, Everyone seems to have something in common with you. Yes. Um, and I think, yeah, but friction in relationships. And you can see how people who have children who don't sleep or who are unwell for long periods of time, you can see how those relationships, people don't get through those stages and those relationships come undone because if you don't do something about it, it's you're not going to take it out on your kid. You're not going to yell at your kid late at night when you're tired and grumpy and they're finally asleep. You're going to tell your husband that it's his fault because he didn't do the dishes quiet enough when really, you know, it made no difference deep down. That is so true. I think getting through a marriage or a relationship when our kids are so young is very hard because there is a lot of resentment about various things, you know, whether mothers are feeling resentful because they're up all night feeding if they're choosing to breastfeed or the husband. I remember Shane used to go off to work and, it was more so, I think, when he got home. So at that stage, he used to come home at about five and I'd be like, here, take the baby. Because the and it was all third, his fault because he went to work. Because <laughs> the third nap for us was so hard. I think I had to bounce on the football and I watched bad reruns of crime shows and I had the worst <laughs> carrier. It was a hand-me-down from a school friend. It was so bad. So my back would kill. And I'd have to bounce for like an hour and a half to get a 30-minute, 15-minute nap. It was a nightmare. So by the time we walked through the door, I'm like, have the baby. It was just, um, yeah. So I think that resentment you were talking about was really, really common. And there's also, I mean, you guys share bedtime from what I recall. So We do. We've always shared everything. I think given that when I met my husband, he was a single dad, he's always been very hands-on with all of those things. But then, like I said, it's if one does something different, you blame them and that's why it didn't work when... It didn't work the three nights before that when you did what your idea was anyway. But the thing is, it sounds like you were both on the same page with what this was not working and reaching out for support. What I often oh, yeah. that if usually it's the dad or the, or the other carer that is out of the house working, they don't actually understand how hard, and I'm talking about, I guess, for 
either children that don't nap during the day or younger babies who are catnapping a lot. So there's a lot of that going on. And then the nights are just a nightmare. They, but sometimes it's the mother or the primary carer who's in charge of the sleep as well. Yeah. And they're sleeping in a different room oftentimes. So they don't understand how intense and difficult it is so when the mother says I've had enough I need support they're like what are you talking about this isn't as bad as you think or no this is just the way that babies and children are meant to be and you and I both know that is rubbish it can be optimal it can be amazing and it makes the the journey of parenting so much smoother so much more enjoyable and the connection with your partner or other children so much better so all the things that you're saying I think are really really common exhaustion resentful not going out socially the mechanics of the family are just not running smoothly tension all of that stuff so let's get to when we met how did you find me and what drew you to working with me um a friend of mine who had a younger baby had shared I think she just did one of your I think it was just the hour um package that you had yeah um just to help with some naps with her son and she put it up um on Instagram and I said to my husband I was like right I'm done I'm going to talk to this lady I said because my other friend used her I said and she said I've looked she's a naturopath too she's not gonna um you know I feel like she's gonna be more flexible because I'd read some of your things and I'd spoken to my friend but then I spoke to my mum too and I said, what do you think I should do? She said, well, you've gone and got all these other people's opinions about the same thing and you've never gone through with it. So you speak to and you decide to go through with it. Um, and then I had a chat to you and, you know, I was pretty upfront about the fact that if you're going to tell me that bedtime has to be at 6 p.m. for my two-and-a-half-year-old when I've got to pick my daughter up 40 minutes away at 5 o'clock, that's going to be really hard because I won't be able to stick to it long-term. You know, for two weeks working with you, I could probably change my life. But being a shift worker, when my husband's like, if he's just home with the two kids, he has to drive and pick her up. Yeah. There's no option. Um, and, you know, I think you were really honest with me too in saying, you know, we can push it maybe a little bit further, but this is what's optimal for that age and this is what I suggest. And then I told you all of the things I was doing and you're like, okay. Um, but I think talking to you and realising that, I wasn't going to have to leave him in his room with the door shut and cry. And obviously he was in a bed because I have a back injury, which ideally he would still be in a cot, but because of my back, we couldn't do that. And knowing that, you know, that wasn't ideal and you were open about the fact that that wasn't ideal, but you would still support us anyway, um, was really nice to know that you sort of could understand our personal circumstances because previous people I'd spoken to, you don't have personal circumstances. This is what you do. And that puts the whole sleep consultant in for me for a long time, it put sleep consultants in like a bubble that everyone's going to tell me this same thing. And it made it really scary to reach out. But then once I did and realized that you would help us help our son in our family without judging me, without, you know, saying, oh, well, you shouldn't have driven because if you never started driving around with him, then he would never know about it and would never want to, because I know that, you know, you, I know what I'm doing is not working. You didn't need to tell me that it wasn't. And I think that was really good. Instead, you told me how you could help me. So even just that first conversation, the way that it went made me feel really comfortable. That's really interesting to hear. And that's really amazing. I think you're right. I remember you saying all those things. <laughs> I, like you said, I am a really honest person. And I think it's important to be really transparent and say to families, I know that's your what you want, 
And often people will say, I want the sleep, but I also want to be out and about. Well, we have to come together and find a way for that to happen. And like you said, I will always say, well, we need to prioritise it. And I'll always be really upfront. I'll also be really upfront if I can't help a family or what they're asking me is just just so like outrageous because obviously my best interest it's about having the child's best interest at heart yeah sure that they're getting the sleep that they need and there are certain ways that we can divide it you know if I'm working with a nine-month-old and I want to have you know two one and a half hour naps a lot of times I've worked with that age group and there's an older sibling so we do a two-hour nap in the morning and then we do a shorter nap or whatever it is I mean within reason yeah to try and divide that sleep while still prioritizing it but like you said Every family has a very different setup. So you're right, a lot of mothers may have, whether it's an injury or also the birth experience is really important too because some people have had a traumatic birth, in fact, a lot of people, and that also that feeds into do they want to leave their babies, do they not want to leave their babies, how long, you know, are they, are they can they handle any crying, can they handle no crying, that sort of thing. Uh, but like there's also single mums, like I've worked with a lot of single mums. Every family situation is different and when it comes to the non-judgmental thing, I do want to talk about that. But part of the reason I'm like that, I think, is because I was a clinical naturopath and I was saying this to someone the other day, there is nothing that I haven't seen. Um, yeah. There is nothing I haven't heard. And I have really seen some doozies when it comes to sleep, some really interesting and, and quite unsafe things, to be honest, about families doing things to get their children to sleep, but they didn't necessarily know that they were unsafe until I've come into the home and gone, okay, we need to really get some safety principles in here, ASAP. So I think all of those things, it's not helpful to make a family feel judged. It's not helpful because the past is the past and I don't actually care what families have done in the past. Number one is safety and then let's move on to the future because that just makes you feel crap about like you said, you kind of knew that you shouldn't be doing it or you didn't want to do it, but you were, you know, between a rock and a hard yeah. place. What were you yeah, to do? exactly. So yeah. tell me about that That really, because um, that came through a couple of times when we've spoken before, about you worrying about feeling judged from a professional and that's what was holding you back. Tell me about that. And was that the only thing that was holding you back from getting help? Um, I think the... I guess the feeling of being judged is because I think every mum, especially, you know, technically first-time mum for me, you feel like you should know what to do because, you know, being a mother is natural and, you know, we're born to be mothers. You read all these things and see all these things. Um, And I think when you just get to the point where you don't know what to do or you know you've done things like giving a two-year-old a bottle of formula, I um, actually, I'm studying in Sydney at the moment, my master's, and we had a lecture and I think it was just before I decided to bite the bullet and contact you. It was a PhD student giving a lecture on infant formula to children of the age of my son and tooth decay. Yes. And I watched that lecture and I came home and I said to my husband, I was like, "This is, we're not buying any more formula. And this lecture, um, you know, didn't say don't feed your kids formula. It was more, okay, if you're giving it to two and a half year old with teeth at bedtime and four times throughout the night this is what's going to happen to their teeth. Um, And I was always someone who was like, you know, I've got to feed my baby. It doesn't matter how I feed them. They need to be fed. But then the formula became very easy to give him during the night. Um, And I watched this lecture, as I said, and I got home and I said to my husband, no more. Um, But then we were like, how are we going to do this? (laughs) 
And after that, that next week, he just became so reliant. Like he was up three or four times a night. And I think that was when I was like, right, I've just got to bite the bullet. I think that was one of the hardest things that we achieved together was cutting down the bottle. And I think parents are really nervous if they're getting rid of a dummy for an older child. That's a really big problem for a lot of um, children. But also backing off that bottle, it's really nerve-wracking for parents because they're like, this is the best way I've been able to get them to sleep. How the heck? And they're going to notice. So many parents are worried that they're going to notice. And you really need a good strategy to wean that bottle. And And it worked. Yes. It was so good. And I think, (laughs) actually, I'm just thinking back. Didn't we have our consult at four o'clock in the afternoon? And And he slept all night. For the first time. And that's something I hadn't even thought to bring up. But the reason that that happened is because we changed the environment that he was sleeping. And that's the first change to what I address with all families. But what happened is the next night, I don't believe he slept through. And that's because it's not just one thing. I think parents, give me the one thing that's going to help my child sleep through. Give me the one tip that's going to help catnapping. There isn't one. It's a combination of all of these five areas that I address that's going to get the result long term. But it was a really good thing. I think it was a really big confidence boost for you. Yeah. And just the fact that, you know, I think we did lots of we did lots of little changes. Um and I think when I spoke to like after I decided to, you know, commit and go through with it, um, I think the lots of little changes to see a big difference at the end was awesome. And I think you asked earlier what was the judgment the only thing that I was like holding me back. And I think for us the financial commitment was probably something we had to discuss, but also it's something that I like I've shared my story with all of my friends that will watch my stories on social media and anyone who will listen. And I think it's the best money like that you could spend because we went to my parents the other weekend and Henley got into bed and slept all night and I could go and have a weekend away and he can sleep all night. And that's, and we couldn't that's do that awesome? before because he'd wake the whole house up 100%. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, and now the sleep we're getting, the time we're getting with Ava is worth every cent. I had someone say to me the other day, I would spend $10,000 <laughs> for this support. I was like, oh, maybe I should increase my price. Yeah, <laughs> but literally it's, and like I've said before, it's just one of those, I think, too, if you spend money for us, then I had to be accountable. I had to do what you said because I wanted it to work because I'd spent money on it. Um, but I also felt like I spent money on support, not just a sleep program, if that makes sense. So I could message you and, you know, I'd send you his nap from daycare and you'd send back, right, tonight we're going to do this. It wasn't like here's a program, off your trot, go and get it done and message me in the morning and tell me how it is. Um, it's yeah, paying for that support, which I know you don't always get from every sleep consultant and also really personalized. Like you can't really put a price on someone sitting down, listening to you, listening to your concerns, giving their advice and then helping along the way while their advice is put into play. A lot of people just give their advice and hope and then you just take it and do what you need to but you're there the whole time and that's awesome. Well, there's a couple of interesting points and I've actually got a podcast episode on this because I really feel like the level of problems that families are dealing with, as in there's five, six, seven factors that are feeding into this issue, then you've got to have a package which suits that, that fits that magnitude of problem. And the issue is that if you get like a download or a generic plan, 
the likelihood of a family executing that is basically zero because they're sleep deprived. What happens if you you tell me to do this, but then that doesn't happen? So what if you're asking me for a two-hour nap and they only do a 40-minute nap, then what? That podcast episode is really interesting for people who are interested to know where, how, if those things don't fit together, then you don't. And this is the unfortunate thing. Sometimes sleep consultants get a bad rap and it's because of those kind of things where they were promised something or they said someone could sort it out in 15 minutes. These problems are really, really significant. And like you said, you need someone to hold your hand through that process to every step of the way. And you said be accountable to people. Part of that is how to navigate crying. Is that one of the things that held you back? Were you, you said you are worried about putting him in a room, shutting the door and crying. Tell us about that. Was that holding you back from getting support? It was like I'd seen videos on Instagram, not on your Instagram, but videos on Instagram of, you know, people's monitors and they put the baby in the room, shut the door and the kid falls asleep on the floor crying. And I was like, I literally just can't do that. I wouldn't want to fall asleep on the floor. Like that's distressing to me. Mm-hmm. And I also think that if I just put him in the room and shut the door, his bedroom's not going to be somewhere that he wants to be. So how is that going to, you know, be a long-term thing to get him to sleep? Um which then as soon as I started talking to him, you spoke about getting him comfortable in his environment and playing in there and making his bedroom somewhere he loves, I was like, this lady definitely isn't going to make my child hate going to bed and screaming because we're not going to get anywhere. Because for me, it's letting a baby or especially a toddler when they're old enough to know, lay in bed and scream for 45 minutes mm. is never going to make them want to go to sleep because that's not a happy environment. And I think I said to you, us as an adult, if you go stay somewhere and you're in a room that doesn't feel quite right or you don't like it and you don't feel comfortable or you're upset, you don't sleep well and you don't want to do it again. And so why would you want to do that to your child? So that was definitely something that made me, like held me back. But then after our discussion with you, and I think that's something that I've probably told every person that's asked me is, and the questions I've got from my friends or people that I've worked with in the past or people that I've, you know, been on holidays with and met and now we're on Facebook and Instagram together, the first things I say is, does Georgina make you cry it out? Or does that is that sleep consultant you use? Did Henley have to just cry it out? Like that is the number one question. And how gentle was the approach, which I think that's sort of the same kind of question. Are you going to make your child suffer? And then are you going to suffer? Because t- like when our kids are upset, we're not happy. That's not going to fix our relationship resentment because it's going to be like, well, he just screamed, so now I'm cranky and now I'm going to take that on you. And I think that whole, this is the problem I have with things like cry it out, control crying, is that there's none of this talk about all these other things that I address. So there's no talk about connection to parent, connection to sleep space. Are they over? If you put an overtired child in a room to cry, oh, they'll cry. They'll be so tired. <laughs> it will go and go and go. And that's where the distress for the child is. And that's where the distress for the parent is. So I can understand why all your friends are asking that question because again, we get a bit of a bad rap that that's what we do. But sleep work is not just that. And people think it's either nothing and putting up with where you are and the sleep deprivation you're getting or cry it out and there's nothing in between. And you and I know that if you do a really staged strategic approach like I've developed, then it's not like that. So yeah, that's really interesting. People are asking. And I think. I think the lessons that we've learned too, like, for example, the sleep pressure after the nap. The other day, I can't remember what we were doing. We were somewhere and he fell asleep in the car on the way home. So just happened to fall asleep. So his nap was a little bit earlier. So we just put him to bed at that time. You know, we awoke him after an hour, put him to bed that certain amount of hours later. 
he still slept all night, still woke up, and he wakes up at 7 o'clock on the dot every morning. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's all the lessons that we've learned and we learned together too. I think we took this approach as a family and we said to our daughter the next two weeks, like while we are working with you and the two weeks after to, you know, get into really, really good habits, we're going to prioritise Henley's sleep. But once that's done, this time we're going to get every night as a family is going to be worth it. And she loves it. She t- she tells everyone about the sleep lady too. Oh, <laughs> I love her. I need to meet her one day. Oh, Yes, definitely. She tells everyone, oh, Henley goes to sleep now because this lady. Oh, this I a lady. It makes me feel really old. Say <laughs> this girl, this girl. So tell right, I'll tell her to change it to the girl. Yeah. <laughs> So the long-term lessons that you've learned, I've just got a couple more questions. The long-term lessons that you've learned are things like obviously sleep pressure, the flexibility of still being able to do life and go to people's houses and sleep. What other kind of long-term lessons have you learned about sleep? Um, I think waking him up in the morning and that my sleeping isn't worth what's going to happen that night. I think being a shift worker, it was really easy for me to go, oh, He's still asleep at 8.30. Great, roll over and go back to sleep for another hour. Um, But that's not worth what's going to happen. And I can also, like, he's so much happier and I think that's probably something I've learnt, that when your child sleeps and you sleep, you actually have so much more valuable time together because you're not, he's not whingy and tired. I'm not sitting on the couch, you know, half asleep in the afternoons because I'm knackered because I haven't slept all night. We get up in the mornings, we spend heaps of time together, Today we've been to the library, we've been to swimming lessons, we've been to the park. We would have never done those three things before a nap because I would have, you know, chilled out because we would have been tired. So I think me getting up earlier in the morning helps him, but then that inevitably helps the whole family. Um, and with meal times, like we're all eating dinner earlier and then we're all sleeping better. And the other thing too, like the white noise that we've put in Henley's room, the type of heater that we've put in his room and the light that we're using, we've actually implemented that all for our nine-year-old too she has other reasons that she has never really slept all night um, and she's sleeping, having much better sleeps too. So those lessons we've actually implemented for our family. We've changed the heating in our room too. How so just those that? little things and we're all sleeping better. So I think I've learned through like the lessons if I was to have another child, there's so many things I'd do different. But I also think that from you I've learned too that if I had another child, it doesn't mean that exactly what we've done for Henley at this age would be the same and I wouldn't be scared now to, you know, have another child and if they weren't sleeping, reach out and be like, hey, Georgina, I want you to do this all over again for the next kid because we need to personalise it to them. Yeah, exactly. And I wouldn't have that fear, but I've also learned that, you know, each kid is different. Like you've worked with a lot of my friends and they're all doing something a bit different that's working for them. Um, And I've also learned, I guess, how many people actually have kids who don't (laughs) sleep. Like the amount of messages I've got from people just from sharing a few things on Instagram when I thought I was probably just being annoying. But so many people have been helped and I think I've learned the power of social media in that I think they really, as well. really do appreciate that. And it's interesting what you say. Yeah. People will say, what technique do you use? Well, I don't actually use one technique. I actually fuse several t- together and, and the reason I do that is based on what you're talking about. So um, I think it was one of your friends that I helped with a 17-month-old and she was co-sleeping with mum, but they'd always done that. And she had a floor bed, so we'd go to the floor bed and we'd go to the cot. And there, were, there was she was breastfeeding a lot through the day and through the night and not just for milk but also for comfort. So we, we have a whole different structure that we did for her 
And, and so there's not one set technique and that's where the customization, the individualization that I really do for naturopathy has kind of helped me do in my work as a sleep consultant. So two more final questions because, interestingly, as we've been recording this, Henley is due for a sleep in six minutes. <laughs> and he's asked to go to bed. <laughs> he's asking to go to bed and we've had to stop about six times because <laughs> we're on the clock. He now loves to go to bed and wants to go to bed. So let's not delay him any further. So tell us just if you can summarise the second last question about what has this ease of him getting to sleep and more sleep overnight and without this dance of up and down and roundabout, what has that done for your household, for your relationship and even for your work outside the home? Um, so for our household, it's made us have a lot more family time and quality family time. Mm. Um, it's reduced the stress through the whole family dramatically. Um, so Henley can go to his grandparents every second Monday and when they say it's time to go to sleep, he lays down, has a sleep, and so then we can still have our nighttime routine. Prior to this, we could have never done that, so it's mean that I can work more, which eases the financial pressure in our family. I mean, there's less financial stress and I think more sleep, obviously, that's much better for my relationship with my husband and I'm not such a raging, angry person all the time, I guess. <laughs> not that I ever was. Never, ever. never care me, never. <laughs> no, but, yeah, I think just, and for my work, um, I think I'm more productive when I'm at work. And I can get up and go to work earlier. My work hours are quite flexible now. I've just got a new job. But I still just get up and go to work earlier because, again. Yeah, not hauling yourself out of bed. I think that whole and, and yeah. taking yourself through the day. When you're sleep deprived, it's just, it feels to me when I'm, because even though I, don't, I do have a child who's slept and always slept because I've worked on the sleep from day one, I've got my yeah. own issues. I got my yeah. so <laughs> trying to drag myself, you know, every second day or whatever, depending on how I'm sleeping through the days, like trudging through mud, and my head just feels like a fog. That um, brain you, fog, yeah. Oh, are you just waiting for the next night, hoping that something will be different? So it's a real, it's a real problem. And it's taking that dread of bedtime away. You know, um, I get excited to have a bath and read. Not I have a bath, him have a bath, and read stories and hop in bed. And I think we're still. In that, like, we feel a sense of achievement. Like last night I was at a school council meeting and Ben texted me at, like, 5 past 7, Henley's asleep. I'm like, oh, yes. So we still, there's still that, like, excitement around it. Um, and I think there probably will be quite some time because it still just feels so surreal that it's happening. He did wake up the other night and I hear these little footsteps. And I was like, oh, what is this? Like, Ava's tiptoeing. It was Henley. Tiptoes in and goes, hi, Mum have a drink of water and he has his drink bottle in his room, which he helps himself to and goes back to sleep and he dropped it on the floor. Mm. Picked it up, took it, he had it. I laid him in bed and walked out the door. I don't know how long he took to go back to sleep because I was asleep. Like, and that's so, yeah. So and good. those wake-ups, like a wake-up like that because they're not feeling well or they've dropped their water bottle. That's normal. We wake up sometimes. Yeah, and that's normal. And to attend to those but to be a quick situation it's not about not attending to our children. There's legitimate things, but it should just be a fairly quick process once we've corrected all these elements that were out. Yeah. Now, my last question, what would you say to a mama who is on the fence about reaching out to me for support? Do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think do it because you won't be judged and you will, you won't regret it at all. I think I've, the, my friend you were speaking about earlier, I just spoke to her this morning, actually, and she was like, this is amazing, you know, and I, I think it, it's worth it. And even her partner and my partner and I think the whole family will get impacted by it. 
And if you're unsure about it, just reach out and have a chat first because you'll soon be made to feel really comfortable. And I think that's the good thing too. It's not a two-week commitment until you make it a two-week commitment if that's the direction that you need to go. You can actually have a conversation first. And, you know, I spoke to you and then said, I'll just think about it literally like an hour later. I was like, yes, please. <laughs> Find me up. But, yeah, I just think it's it's not one of those things that's unrealistic. Like I say, you're a magician. I said that the other day. It's just, but it's just all the little things and it's not too hard. I think the way that you help people, you don't make it hard. You make it easy because it's all realistic things. It's not unrealistic to, you know, what, what your kids wearing to bed or what time they're going to bed or the temperature or all those things. None of that's unrealistic stuff that's hard to do. Well, I guess it's logic. I love that about my job is it's logic, but it's not logical when you're in this frame of mind of sleep deprivation. And I really no. do like, I just adore my work and being able to have families like yours and your friends and whoever because the ease, how easy it makes life and how much enjoyable it is. Like, you know, my little boy's just turned six. I look back at photos of him when he was either Henley's age or baby and I just loved those times. They are just divine all of those times. But if they're not and sleeping, now, you don't love it. <laughs> it's not. And you are just like in the trudging through, waiting for the next nap, waiting for the next bedtime, and it just makes it less enjoyable. And and they're harder to manage when they're overtired and you're tired and, yeah. Now, yeah. it's Henley's bedtime. <laughs> it is. And so he's well aware. <laughs> I just can't thank you he enough. Literally just, he literally said, come on, Mum, put me to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I just can't thank you enough for spending this time with me because I know that it is after your activities and it's been before his bed and we've been delaying him with snacks and entertainment. There he's in the background. So Yeah, there he is. Sorry. I just can't thank you enough. Thank you for sharing your experience and letting other mothers know that it's not too difficult if you get support and you won't be judged and more sleep makes everything better for everybody. Thanks, Kirby. Thank you for having me. How good is Kirby? Oh, that was such a hilarious chat. We had Henley in the background and I think we had to stop about six times because he needed snacks, which is two and a half year olds to a T, isn't it? Always needing snacks and obviously needing to occupy him while we had our chat. And then he started to ask to go to bed at about 20 to 1. So 20 minutes before his nap time, he was asking to go to bed. He was lying on the couch ready to go. So we finished our podcast recording at exactly one o'clock and off he went to bed and no doubt he was asleep within minutes later. So it was so incredible to share this conversation with Kirby and what it has meant for her family to now be getting more sleep easily, what it means for their well-being, what it means for the functioning of the family unit, for their older child, for Henley's eating and ease of managing a two and a half year old, which of course toddlers can always push back, but not so much when you're not tired. So I really appreciate her time. It was so good to hear about how she felt during that discovery call. She didn't feel judged. She appreciated my honesty and I appreciated her honesty and how we were going to work together in a way that was flexible to reach her family's goals. Kirby purchased a sleep saviour package and that's a two-week high-level support package to get her to reach her and her family's goals. Things that are included within that package are some videos to get you on your way in terms of setting up the environment and you heard how pivotal that was for Henley to sleep through on the very first night. I'll also 
work out what technique or fusion of techniques I'm going to work to get your family from A to Z and send those in a sleep plan. But I don't just leave you there. As she said, she wouldn't have been able to complete the journey if I hadn't been holding her hand. So by doing the messenger app, both verbally and messaging while you might be in the room with your baby settling them, that is where the gold happens. That's where families feel incredibly supported and that's one of the key things that gets me the results that I'm getting right now, which are incredible. When everything is all tied up and you have a child who's doing the age-appropriate naps for their age, they might be sleeping through the night or making once for a feed, whatever's age-appropriate, and you're not doing this dance of feeding and rocking and holding and swapping out with another parent and the dummy and all the complications that can come together to cause these kind of sleep challenges. When everything's tied up after our two-week high-level support package, I will then invite you into the Sleep Collective, which is a membership that I created nearly two years ago now, and that's where you'll get the ongoing support to help you stay on track because Murphy's Law says that your little one will go into the next age bracket and they will require more awake time or they'll start teething or they'll start rolling or standing in the cot, starting childcare and you just don't know how to navigate it and you want to stay on track because you've invested in this sleep. You want to make sure that you get ongoing support. So families that invest in this package actually get six weeks of support with me. So they get the one-on-one at a high level for two weeks and then they get an ongoing month within the sleep collective. And, of course, you can choose to stay if you want to. So to be like Kirby and her family, make sure you book one of these Sleep Saviour packages. I'll pop the link in the show notes below. And until then... I hope that we cross paths really soon and you enjoyed this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, learned something or felt moved by a topic that was discussed, please share it with another parent who you think would enjoy this episode. Also, don't forget to leave a review on the platform where you listen to this podcast so more families can be empowered about their child's sleep. Make sure to follow me on Instagram so you can get more sleep tips that will help you improve your child's sleep today and head to my website if you would like to work one-on-one with me. Until next time, happy sleeping.